If you really want to accomplish in this day what you're meant to accomplish, look back. Who inspires you today? What words inspire you today? I can point to at least four things that I read today, four things that I thought about today in new ways that inspired me for today. Too often people cut themselves off from what can and would inspire them because of their judgment. Because they oh, only assign gonna... certain people worthy exactly. of learning from or receiving from. Exactly. So yeah, that's another lesson and inspiration within the inspiration. Exactly. And then at some point, if you actually never pursue the things that are important to you, you eventually don't care anymore. You're either exhausted or weary, you don't have the energy or the desire anymore to actually create the change, or you just don't think it's possible. In life, we have a certain amount of desire. And if we don't grab the desire and manifest it now, you don't know if you'll have it tomorrow. Exactly. Hello, welcome to the Spiritually Hungry Podcast, episode 21, where Monica and Michael will be talking about inspiration. That's right, Abigail. Thank you for the introduction. I have a question for you. Yes, what is it? What inspires you? Well, what inspires me is a lot of things, but one of them is my school because there's an, a thing in my school that I use for inspiration if I'm needing to write something down. It's like an idea book and it has pictures everywhere of like my family and places I've been. So that really inspires me about everything. Oh, I love that. Thank you for sharing. Thanks for joining us. Bye. Bye. Hello, Michael. Hey, Monica. Very excited, actually, to spend this next, hopefully, 45 minutes or so with you. <laughs> and, well, then uh, when are you going to speak? <laughs> um, and talk about what is one of the most important things in life. I, think. I see you burnt the table here. <laughs> so, um, well, what's interesting is, you know, we take turns coming up with topics and ideas. And, and a lot of the emails that come from our students and friends, yes. listeners. And this week... Uh, this week's topic when you suggested actually I was like oh it's kind of really too broad and you're like no I think it could be really cool and I liked the challenge and I'm really curious as we didn't discuss as we never do what we were going to speak about um, I took more of an artistic uh, approach in what inspires me and because you know that's how I kind of see the world so let's get started. Now, it goes without saying that on the top of the list of what inspires me, it would be you and our children. Oh, that's so sweet. I'm not doing it for points in this moment. <laughs> but um, but really. Let me change my uh, notes then. Uh, haha, our relationship and our friendship and your kindness has always really inspired me to be better and do more. The way you love me has inspired me to love myself more. And, uh, and our children, just seeing life through their lens every day just opens my eyes to new ways of looking and at things and being. Um, so the first thing I wanted to share is that I really liked this quote. It's by philosopher and professor. His name was Karl Popper. So he said, we're social creatures to the inmost center of our being. The notion that one can begin anything at all from scratch, free from the past or unindebted to others could not conceivably be more wrong. So this morning I woke up, I drank the best cup of coffee. You know, that's like my favorite thing of every day and every night of every part of my existence, that one <laughs> cup of coffee, it's just perfection. And then I made uh, some of our kids breakfast, some of them make it for themselves. 
And I made our youngest lunch. I hugged her, sent her off to school. Then I worked out for two hours as I do. And then I that inspires me. prepared for our podcast a bit and another podcast I did and then started to work on my next book. Now, why am I telling you all of this? To overwhelm all of you. <laughs> because none of it would have been possible without the hard work and effort of others over many, many years. And even if we just look at my workout, right? Tracy Anderson, she moved to New York decades ago and I'm a devoted follower of her workout and a, a friend. You know, she's really a pioneer, I think, in the fitness industry. So she came to New York on a dance scholarship and she researched, she refined, she finessed a way to create a dancer's body for people by focusing on the accessory muscles, the small muscles. You, I've um, heard you speak about this a few times. But, but, but many people have. But I trust you completely. Because when you work on the smaller muscles that usually are ignored, it really tightens that it, it creates a definition in the part of your body I'm that you sure want. You're well, right. many people listening to us today have not <laughs> yes. heard this and they would like to hear us. My point of saying this is that um, her trailblazing method has resonated with my philosophy of exercise and fitness and has spoken to many others. If we think about her efforts and we think about this. We, if you don't, I don't mind, I don't want to cut you off, but um, there was one time you took her oldest son to try it with you. You want to share that? I felt story? very inspired that day too. Well, David is very muscular and fit. And um, for a while he, and he was a trainer and he thought he wanted to open a gym. He's 21 and he's Aquarius. So he's moved on to other things at this moment, but he still loves working out. And, you know, he talks a big talk. And so for my birthday one year, I begged him that oh, right, the gift to birthday. me would be to come with me to exercise. It's mostly women there. He was the only male um, in the class that morning. And also it's a very hot room. It's usually like 90 <laughs> degrees and very humid. And I don't think he even brought water or a towel to the class. And uh, he struggled. He had to leave three times. And I was- but He made just, it through the whole thing? Um, almost, almost. almost. <laughs> you know, he took some breaks there. But then he, he totally, I gained a lot of um, respect that day from our son. But also- um, I think that if you look at the same workout, you you could also credit, and I'll I'll connect it for you, Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, right, who passed recently, because as a woman, if you played in sports or you purchase property in your own name or you have a credit card or um, equal pay in a workplace, you need to thank her, right? So if you look at just people and pioneers, if I look even what I do with my life, right, helping people assisting them, being a teacher, a mentor. So if the Reverend Karen hadn't opened the doors to teaching Kabbalah to women, right? Before Karen, women were not taught this wisdom, then my whole life would have been a different life. So there are many people that we're gonna focus on and we'll go into, um, and not just people, but things or moments that inspire us. But I think it's important to talk about this idea that we stand on the shoulders of, uh, of others, of those before us. Because even if you look at an automobile, right? The new ones that have been created, they're standing on the shoulders of the car that was created before. And if nobody ever thought about how to make it different or faster or improve it. Or invented the wheel. Right? And, and, and just started from scratch each and every time, where would we be really as a culture, as a society? So I think it's just so important to acknowledge that, understand that, that we are all linked together. And with that should come some sense of humility, right? Which often is lacking. And... In relation to that, one of my favorite quotes, and it's based on a story. And by the way, I have your parents to thank for you, right? Quite literally. Hopefully, yes. <laughs> <laughs> on the good days. Um, oh, but, honey, they're all yeah. good. 
<laughs> but the um, the the story is about a man who was planting tree, an old man. Who was oh, I was going to tell that later, but oh, you go I'm ahead sorry. and do that. <laughs> well, you want to tell it? No, it's I'll, your turn to speak. Um, that he was planting trees, and then uh, a man drove by and saw him planting trees. He says, "Why it was are you a very old man, right? A very old man planting trees." And he says, "Why are you planting trees?" He says, "Because um, you know I want to, you know, I want them to sprout and become, you know, huge trees and give." shelter and so on and he asked him he said um but you're going to be dead by the time they grow because right, he was very old he was yes, very yes. old he says well those before me planted trees that i enjoy i will plant trees that next generations will enjoy and i think that's so the second part of that is when you really understand that everything literally i mean you could point to every single part of our lives be it our food to as you said any type of successes we have any type of enjoyment we have any type of wisdom we have it is all based on everything that came before us. So with that, hopefully comes humility, and hopefully as well comes a sense of a responsibility to give back to the world, to others, because what I have taken in is certainly not based on all that I have done all by myself. Yeah, so I think that first idea because they're going to come down to lessons is that that is an inspiration that then makes you connect to humility and to responsibility right sorry i'm completely off topic <laughs> we got we you know we, we get a lot by of the way i spilled tea all over my papers today which is such a you move and i almost <laughs> got upset for a second yeah. and i was like well what would michael do and i said i'm just gonna say this is so awesome and my virgo sensibility is not going to be bothered by the brown color of wetness on my paper <laughs> and my spirit ink that is now bleeding uh, all over nice. thank you michael you're welcome <laughs> um so we get a lot of emails and comments all on you know, all over from from listeners to this podcast and we got one negative. i think it's maybe the first negative one we got last week <laughs> i was so happy it was about you by the way not me <laughs> i was sure i'm like okay and uh apparently i talk very fast which is something i've known for many many years but i will try again well we both I'm, do and that's why i thought at first i just read i skipped the opening and i was like okay that's the complaint and then i was that's why i went back I was like, I'm sure it was about me. But what I really liked also said she called you Mike. <laughs> yes, it's one of my pet peeves <laughs> when people call me Mike. But anyway, so we will. I will do my best to try to, again, speak slowly. It's just, as Monica said, we are so inspired and excited about these ideas, so we want to get them out as quickly as possible. Yeah, she said you stressed her out, the pace <laughs> of, the, of your voice. <laughs> I, I apologize, and thank you for the feedback. Um, all right, so I shared one. Do you want to share one? Mm-hmm. As I said, for me, inspiration is one of the most important parts of life. As a matter of fact, one of my mottos is to live an inspired life. I want to make sure that every single day, from the moment I wake up, at least most days, mm -hmm. I am inspired by something new. I am inspired by new wisdom. I am inspired by, by a new person. And so, interestingly, there's a teaching that, for me, is foundational to the understanding of the importance of inspiration. There's a great Kabbalist, his name is Revisa Gloria, and um, he writes that, you know, most people, when you think about today, today is we're recording this on a Wednesday, so most people woke up this morning, oh, it's another Wednesday. We had a Wednesday last week, we had a Wednesday two weeks ago, we're going to have a Wednesday next week, we had a Tuesday yesterday. Really? Do you think that's really, is that how people wake I up? I think people, I think people, well, certainly not to this extent, which is what he says, and this is something I try to think about as often as I can every single morning, that this day, its energy, its potential, its light, its unique, unique possibilities have never existed before. Mm 
and will never exist again. On this specific day, on each specific what day. Is, exactly, right. what this day is, what this day can be, the blessings that are available, the growth that is available, the, the manifestation that is available, has never existed from the beginning of time till this moment, till this day. And we'll, we'll never, the possibility of today will never exist tomorrow. Tomorrow there'll be other possibilities. There'll be another coming together of energies and possibilities. So in essence, what you're saying is that each day is uniquely created for each person. For, exactly. And what I can accomplish today, will I will never be able to accomplish it tomorrow. I would not have been able to accomplish it yesterday. And that awareness of the unique potential and therefore gift of every single day, that the energies are different, that the makeup of the day is different. I, in this day, am a different person hopefully gives us an inspiration to make the most of each day. And again, I know many people think about that. I want, you know, carpe diem. I want to, you know, grab, you know, I'm going to grab the day. Seize the day, right? Right, but it's not just that. It's really the understanding that there's something very unique in the trillions and trillions of days that have existed. A day like today has never existed and will never exist again. It doesn't mean tomorrow doesn't have potential. Tomorrow has endless potential. New, different, but not like today. So interesting. So if you think about, if, you know, I always go straight to like um, a metaphor, like if an ice cream store creates fresh ice cream every day, right? And maybe the flavors are the same every day. Maybe not. But let's say they make the same flavors every day, but fresh every day. No two batches will ever be the same, right? Maybe you put a little bit of sugar, a little more sugar, a little more chocolate, or maybe your taste buds are different on that day and your experience of it will be different. It's kind of like the same thing. If you look at what a day is comprised of, sure, there will be all the same aspects to that day. People maybe you see every day or the same route you take to to work each day, but your experience of it will be different because there are unique opportunities that are available in the day that you won't discover unless you understand that power of each day. And push yourself to reveal its potential. Mm-hmm. And push yourself so to how, do, its potential. how do you do that? So, well, well, actually, it's funny what you were saying about the ice cream that where my mind went to I'm scotch. I'm kind of hungry, yeah. But, <laughs> so, so the reason right there is people like right, that's, right. who enjoy single malts as, po- as opposed to blends, because blends try to blend the, the scotch in such a way that it always has the same taste, whereas single malts will often have, you know, unique taste to its own. Wait, and, did I inspire you when I said ice cream, so then you thought of scotch, or did exactly. you think of scotch when no, I, I thought of ice cream? No, I did not think of scotch. No, no. Okay. You inspired me. So, so but this understanding, which, again, is unique, again, he's referring to the spiritual work that each individual can do every day. But this thought, again, which is something I try to keep in my mind, you know, whether it's during my prayers, during my study, during my actions today, because I think it's human nature. If you're not mindful... You'll be robotic. And a day bleeds to the next, and the week bleeds to the next, and a month bleeds to the next. And then it's just a blur from one vacation to the next, or one New Year's to the next. Or even one day of working to the next, one day of even doing important work. But... And we understand that consciousness is is very important. Consciousness really uh, directs the, the the day and, and the energy and, and the man- ability to manifest. Living simply with this understanding, waking up every single morning and saying into ourselves, what is the energy of this day, the potential of this day, the light that I can reveal and what I can do, I can only do today. You know, there's a a beautiful section in the Zohar, the foundational text of Kabbalah, that uh, many of our listeners are aware of. And it speaks about one of the first spiritual giants, his name, biblical Abraham. And it says that as he's, you know, getting older, leaving this world, it says, 
Abraham, it says, Ba Bayamim, is the original Hebrew words. And it's translated as, he came with his days. And the mm-hmm. Zohar asked the question, you know, if you want to talk about somebody who lived a long life, you say, you know, he lived many years, he lived many decades. You, know, you can, you can uh, talk about it in different ways. Why does, it, why does the Bible, in reference to Abraham, say that he came with his days? And here, the Zohar reveals the secret, that every single day was unique, and he filled every single day, which means he manifested the totality of light and potential that every day had. And if we're honest with ourselves and we look at our lives, we look even on the past week, forget about the last number of months, years, how many days do we really have? Okay, we'll have an hour here of inspiration and awakening and doing maybe five hours there, but to fill every single day, to come, you know, 120 years from now, with all of our days, that's quite an accomplishment. And it begins with this understanding. Waking so, up, yeah. The, but So basically what we're saying is that you need to have consciousness in everything you do on each day. Because how do you fill, how do you fill your day? Let's say that, you know, for a lot of our listeners, their schedule is pretty routine, right? You go to work and, and a lot of people are working from home now. And so how practically would they actually go about their day and, and grab that, grab each well, moment? Okay, so, so I, I, I still, I, I'll go back to what I said before. I really think that it does begin, and I would strongly recommend every one of our listeners, every day when you wake up, remind yourself, this day is like no other. The energy and potential that is available for me today has never been available and will never be available. If I lose the opportunity of today, I will have a different opportunity tomorrow, but not this one again. Mm-hmm. So approach every single day with that consciousness of its uniqueness. And therefore, what you can accomplish in it is unique. That's why I would start. And the second thing, and this I think is really why this topic is so important to me, as I said, and, and I think to, to all of our listeners, you have to draw inspiration. You should not, I do not let myself go throughout my day without inspiration. I, I you know, I try to study every single day for, for quite some time, but my mandate is I do not stop reading or studying unless there's something that I understand in a new way, in a deeper way, in a unique way. Every day lives with new inspiration. And that's why, again, I strongly, you know, our listeners, you have, you can't, I don't think it's possible for any one of us to, to self-motivate with something new every day. And that's why, thankfully, like you said, we have thousands and thousands of, of people, of, of books of inspiration, of wisdom from which we can draw. But I think it also begins with that decision. I will not live that any decision. day without Absolutely. new inspiration, without new inspiration. And which leads to the next part, there was a great Italian Kabbalist, one of my favorite, uh, of Moshe Chaim Lutzato, who says, Every single day, one of the most powerful ways to motivate you forward is to look at the giants that came before you, the people that can inspire you. And he says, says, if you really want to grow, if you really want to accomplish in this day what you're meant to accomplish, look back. Right. Who inspires you today? What words inspire you today? I can point to at least four things that I read today, four things that I thought about today in new ways that inspired me for today. It's really about just changing how you see things, right? Most people wake up and they focus on what they lack, right? Or what they don't don't want to do in that day that they've committed to do. Or, you know, (laughs) there's a whole list. But I think that this could be a really powerful reset moment for everybody where, first of all, A, appreciate the unique opportunity that is available only in that day and each and every day has its own. And then, like I said, and like you're saying, look to the giants before you. I think that's really powerful. And you mentioned... And do not live any day. Decide that I will not commit. I will not live any day without a new inspiration. 
Yeah, I love that. So this is a lesson, I think, or an inspiration for me in uh, having appreciation, because I think that's another thing that we talk about a lot, I think, in our our home. Um, but also, I think it's one of the easiest things to lose. And you mentioned Abraham. That's my father's name, Abe. And uh, this was something that came to me, actually, on a drive down Laguna Beach. You were with me, actually, at the time. So Laguna is a really quaint, artsy town in California. And um, I used to go there a lot before we were married. It's like 45 minutes from where I lived. And uh, it was a time where I had anorexia and I was just so lost and lonely and hopeless and starving for love. Um, My mind was restless. I felt lost, weary, voiceless, plagued by self-doubt, you name it. I was in this dark space. And at that time when I used to go, I would travel, I would go with my father a lot. And he was going through his own struggles at the time. He had lost his job, and but he was really a support for me in those years. He was just the one person at that time who wasn't terrified by what they saw me doing to myself. And he was just able to be there quietly supporting me. Even, you know, I'm like, let's hike the Grand I'm sorry, Canyon. I mean, not to correct you, but you said he wasn't terrified. I wonder if the Really, it was that his love for you overwhelmed his terror. I, I'm, assu- I'm assuming as a father, he was concerned, right? You know, he had this interesting ability that he had a lot of fear for himself in his life, a lot. But yeah, I think his desire to love those people that he already loved, like through difficulties, would remove any fear he had for them. It's true. And it was really interesting because I saw him be very fearful in his own life and things that had happened to him. But he wasn't like that when there was really, I think, truly something to be scared about in those years with me. So anyway, we were driving years later, right, when we were married. And I remember we were going through the bends and the turns in the road. And uh, I was pointing out to you, oh, yeah, I went there and I bought a ring with my dad. And that's a, that's a cute art shop. And and uh, I got really teary-eyed and I started crying. And I wasn't crying because of the girl I described, right? I was crying because of where my father had um, digressed to. He has Alzheimer's, as I've shared, and um, he's not available to me, not in any way. Certainly not in sharing memories of the past and not sharing um, desires and hopes for the future and not even accomplishments. But I found myself crying for the man that he was. And it got me thinking, and this was the lesson. <laughs> he cried. I'm holding yes. it together. Um, yeah. It got me thinking about this idea. And again, I, you know me, I get inspired often through pain and through difficulties. It really does make me take pause and I think be in, in what is the opportunity in each day, right? Mm-hmm. So um, I thought, is this how life works? Once we have no need for people, is it the obvious choice to render them unimportant and simply discard them? And I know that sounds cold, but really I think that human behavior, people do that in life and we don't mean to do it, right? What happens when you don't need people anymore, like training wheels on a bike or floaties when you're learning to swim? Once you learn how, do you simply discard them? It's the obvious next step, but does the same hold true for people? Do they simply become redundant when you no longer rely on them or have a specific need for them? Or is it our responsibility as moral human beings to always find value, especially in things or people who were once our lifeline? And as the Rav said, your father, I said, once a friend, a friend for life. And you can change friend to anything, right? I mean, the point of that sentence is once somebody has been there for you, has has found a place in your heart and has shown up for you. Has given to you. Has, there is, of a course, responsibility. a responsibility to always 
be there for them. And even if you can't be there for them in ways they'll recognize or understand, we know what it is to show up for somebody right. else. It's interesting. You know, one of my, because you know, it was something that my father spoke about a lot, because unfortunately in his position, and unfortunately you and I have both experienced this as well, often when people need you, or at least they think they need you, there's a great amount of, I don't know if the word is love, because is it love if it goes away, but love shown. And then suddenly, if for whatever reason, this circumstance has changed and they suddenly feel that they, that what you have to give or for whatever reason they, they no, no longer, longer need or no longer appreciate, have. then there, there, it is human nature to, to discard. discard. And it's crazy. I mean, you know, unfortunately we've seen this and that's why I think, and again, none of us are perfect, but I think that you and I make it a, a, a strong focus to check ourselves when that starts, when we feel that maybe we're starting to behave in that way, to, to always make sure that, like you said, if somebody's given you, 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 you try to give back as throughout your life, never a moment that that ends. Which reminds me, there's a section in the Talmud that says that King David, uh, when he would meet or come by the person who taught him the alphabet, right? So you're in first grade, right? You're learning the I alphabet, like right? Thing. And then you're getting to high school, then college, you know, and then of course you're, you're, that, you're using that language now to, and do you still, I mean, honestly, think about yourself. Do I still have appreciation for, I don't even remember the name, but my first grade like teacher. You stand for your first grade He would stand. Teacher, right out of King David would stand. Like, why he said would it, you teach somebody? So he taught you the ABCs. What's the big deal? He actually said it to, if he's taught you one letter, just mm -hmm. the A or the Aleph and the, and, the, and that's, that's where we need to strive to be. Right. And that's right? why this lesson for me was so painful because it hit me. It, it came flooding in as I was crying for him. I think at that time, um, seeing him, disappear and and um and being so vacant right i i think out of fear at first i pulled back but i think also out of that concept of like well we don't really have exchanges and then when i just i remembered so many things that opened the floodgates for me i thought oh my god how could you do that you know right. and uh now i'm gonna get emotional but <laughs> so then i thought um i'm really gonna take this lesson with all people in life. And now I really do celebrate him. I, you know, when I go to LA and we spend time together, it's quality and, and I do, I feel that his soul recognizes mine and I, I cherish him. I cherish him for who he is and who he always will be, whether he can express it or not. It's interesting, you know, and, and I hope this isn't too morbid, but uh, this week a friend of ours, uh, his father passed away and we were talking about, we, had, we started a whole conversation about where somebody should be buried, right? And one of the thoughts that I had is, and again, we have a, a deeper spiritual belief about the soul and that it remains and, and it's important where a person is buried. And yet we actually believe in, you actually go to visit them and their energy and their soul. But, but on, a, on, a, on a, I think a very basic level, like you said, what, what happens when people die is that because we don't feel they can give us anymore, they're no longer important to us. And I like think the chapters closed or that's a part of my life that's no more. And therefore we put it away where right. it collects dust and it's and, and one of the things that I'm surprised, like I've often asked people, and again, to us it's really important. I go to my parents who are no longer in this physical world, I go to visit them as often as I can. And I feel a connection. And again, for us it's even deeper because I feel a spiritual connection to their soul. But but even on a very basic human level. The importance, again, because this came up in the conversation about where a person should think to be buried. And I said, I think it's important to be in a place that's that's accessible to the family. Why? 
again, I think there's a whole deeper spiritual, which maybe in one of the podcasts we can get into, but also the fact that when a, a, ch- a child or a grandchild comes to the resting place of their father, grandfather, there's a showing of an appreciation. Whether or not one believes in the soul, this person gave me, gave me life, maybe gave me more than that. And just because they're no longer in the physical world, why should that ever be the reason that I that 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 they're no longer in my mind? That appreciation, if King David stands up for the person who taught him one letter, we better stand up for our parents or anybody who gave us life. And that should be constant. That should be 50 years later. And I'm always surprised when I have a conversation with people and I and I talk about often, you know, a relative who has passed, a father or a mother. And I say, when was the last time you went to visit their grave? And often it's like never since the funeral or, or you know, every few years it winds up. In a, to my mind, it's on some level a lack, a, a loss of appreciation. Well, they can no longer give me, they gave me life. That was 50 years ago. Me, but also, they don't know that I was there or not. Or like sometimes people do the niceties because it will be recognized right. also. Right. But, so but I think it's a really great opportunity to be as an action of them. reminding ourselves of the appreciation we must have. Right. Yeah. Uh, do you want to yes, take a turn now? I do. I do. <laughs> so, um, like I said, this is something uh, uh, that it, I, I think about really most of my life. This is probably is the driving force. How can I gain more inspiration for myself and for others? Because, of course, that's the way we see the purpose of our lives, not just, of course, to, to have inspiration for us, but to be able to share inspiration with others. And one of my favorite stories, um, and it, again, it continues to inspire me to this day, even though I first read it, you know, over, you know, almost 40 years ago. And many of our listeners know that um, the founder of the Kabbalah Center, his name was Rav Yehuda Ashlag. And he was an amazing person, a, a spiritual person. But there's one part of his life story that I find unbelievably inspiring. And again, as I said, this is something that continues to inspire me to today. So he tells the story that the way he gained his wisdom was that he was living in Warsaw in Poland at the time. And he met this man and the man was not, was a concealed giant. He worked in business, but nobody knew that he had any wisdom. And they certainly were not aware of his great, because he was obviously a very humble person, did not want any accolades, didn't want anybody to know how great he was. And Ravashlik says, and it's a longer story than this, but I'll, I'll cut it down to the essentials, because I think this is such a powerful and hopefully inspiring story. He studies with him for a number of months. And because true spiritual study is not about gaining information and or wisdom, but rather about the internal work that one must do in order to be able to access true wisdom, Ravashlik says, as I was studying, I was so excited, and my ego began growing. And he says that as his ego continued to grow, he tried to find his teacher, and his teacher was disappearing from him. He would go to his house, he wasn't there. He would go to his business, he wasn't there. He was looking for him, he couldn't find him. And then he lost his teacher. And he realized after some time that it was because he had allowed his ego to grow as he was gaining this amazing wisdom. So finally, he's, so through, for a number of months, he works on his ego, diminishing his ego. And then finally, he's able to find his teacher. He finds his teacher, the next day, his teacher leaves his physical world. Mm-hmm. And he writes that he was in so much pain from that loss that he forgot everything his teacher ever taught wow. him. He forgot everything his teacher ever taught him. And then from that moment on, and I always make a point that he could have given what would most people do, you know, and then I share this, you know, regarding my relationship with my father, with the Rav who left this physical world. My father was his teacher. In that moment of darkness, 
one can give up hope. One can say, okay, done, right? On to the next, or I'll never... But he didn't. And he, he kept on awakening, he said, a yearning for all that he had lost, all the wisdom that he had lost from all the pain. And because, and this is the for me the, the most important part, because of the great yearning, one can imagine what yearning day after day, week after week, month after month, what you believe is your life source of wisdom. And finally, he says, the way he, he writes it, it, there was an awakening from above based on his yearning. And not only did he regain all the wisdom that his teacher had taught him, but even more, he calls it the, the gates of the heavenly wisdom opened up for him. And because of that, he was able to then continue to write and inspire. And now millions of people have access to the wisdom. But, but what was the foundation? Yearning. And for me, and this is true, again, whether it's about inspiration, but it's about, about anything that's important in life. The amount of anything, love, wisdom, connection that you're going to receive, that you will be able to manifest, is exactly commensurate to the amount of yearning, desire, desire right. that you have. And that's why, you know, Kabbalistically, we say that the, the word, we call it vessel, there's a spiritual word, but that word is the same numerical value as desire. And, and I think inspiration and desire are one and the same, really, because the purpose of inspiration is to awaken desire. And and I think one of the important questions our listeners should ask themselves, as we said before, you commit to living every single day with inspiration, with new inspiration that drives you for that day. You have to also make sure you're living every single day with greater desire. I think about that, because if you don't have desire, then you really have nothing. There's no sense of change, of urgency, of curiosity. It's kind of, it's like settling. It's just, it's a, a half-lived life. Not even half-lived. Not even half-lived. And that's why I think, again, and this is probably... And by the way, when when we come into the world, I think we have a lot of desire. If you look at a baby screaming, crying, they desire food. They desire, you know, they there's they desire so and many they will, things. They never the, take a kid into a toy store. It's a lot of desire. And the beautiful thing about the desire of babies and children is that they do not let go of that desire. They will cry for an hour yeah, and five. Yeah, love it. And I really, and that's ten. why it's very inspiring, for sure. And then I see sometimes when people get older in their 70s or 80s, the desire wanes and then you see aging really start to set in because right. if a person doesn't have desire and certainly desires that are rooted in things that feed their soul, then they get connected to the wrong things and eventually they don't really want anything at all. Absolutely. So I think desire is uh, huge. And, and I think it's an important question for every one of our listeners to ask, how much desire do I have in my day? And again, I believe it's. And we're not it's, talking it's, about desire for like no, steak. I, you know? No, most importantly for the important things in life. Exactly. Whether it's love with somebody, you know, with 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 your partner, with your uh, with your with your family. Whether it's for wisdom, whether it's for inspiration, right? I think though these two are are wedded together. You cannot have desire without inspiration. That's for me what what excites me every single day. Well, that's what spiritually hungry is, right? Exactly. It's good we get to plug the name every single episode. Mm. That by committing. And making sure that I live every single day with new inspiration, I am also awakening greater desire every day. And so I, I think another point is that people, now I'm changing the subject, I'm going to my next idea, but I think that often people think they can only be inspired by certain people, right? I think we can be inspired by everything. I said, even a drive on Laguna Beach. So this is actually something I read that John Mayer said. And uh, it was an interview. I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but it's interesting because Often we get some of the comments we get, you know, people we quote is, you know, did you know that he also did this or did you know? I mean, I'm not. I actually don't even really know anything. About I don't know. I don't know very I, much I about know, it. I know a few but, of his songs, and I liked what he said in this one interview. <laughs> yeah, and then the point, and the, the point is this: I think, I think one of the reasons 
And, and I've by seen the way, this. we'll keep doing that because everybody is comprised of good and evil. Exactly. Everybody has a choice to make each and every day to be selfish or kind. And and, and we all fail at that, you know. But I think that's such an important point because I think too often people cut themselves off from what can and would inspire them because of their judgment. Because they oh, only assign c- certain people worthy exactly. of, of exactly. learning from or receiving exactly. from. So yeah, that's another lesson inspiration within the inspiration. Exactly. exactly. And, and by the way, the Kabbalists teach you should be learning from every single interaction you're having, from the most negative one to the most positive. You should be learning from every single person you encounter, from every the most day, positive exactly. one to the most negative one. Exactly. Sorry. So... so um, he said, life is like a box of crayons. You thought it was chocolate. Say chocolate. <laughs> no, it's not uh, mm. um, Forrest, Gump. Forrest Gump. So he said, most people are the eight color boxes, but what you're really looking for are the 64 color boxes with the sharpeners on the back. I like this. Yes. I, fancy- I wonder if our kids will even know what that means, but I'm Abby assuming most of yes. Yeah, because I, I made sure to get her one. <laughs> I fancy myself to be a 64 color box, though I've got a few missing. It's okay though, because I've got some more vibrant colors like periwinkle at my disposal. So when I meet someone who's an what eight is color periwinkle? type, um, is it a purple or a blue? Well, why did you have to? It's I don't know. Somebody, we'll get, I'm sure somebody will write in and tell us. Um, so he said, when I meet someone who's an eight color type, I'm like, hey girl, magenta. Yeah, it's purplish. And she's like, oh, you mean purple? And she goes off on her purple thing. And I'm like, no, I want magenta. So it got me thinking. Right? Oh, I, I, I missed that. Explain me because I cut you off. So it, he, he, he was meets, just saying when he meets somebody who's an eight color box. and um, Which means l- less faceted. Exactly. Okay. And it's just these eight colors. And he's like, no, there's all these other things. Okay. Right. So this this got me he thinking. He tries to introduce her to another color. Right. Okay. So that was what he said. And I don't really yeah. know what. That, that's just his experience of life. Yeah. And I thought that was kind of cool. But it got me thinking. By the way, I think that's really, I mean, the truth is, you know, we, again, we are blessed to meet many, many people. And it's really the multifaceted oh, yeah, people that are, that are much people. more interesting and, and, they'll and make inspiring more mistakes, to be with. By the way, and they'll make, they'll take more risks and They'll admit their ego. It's it's a much it's a it's a much more full way of living. But my point was yes, that I am definitely a sixty four color box. Oh, for sure. If they made one hundred and twenty eight, <laughs> you're the I'm double. I'm on pack. my second <laughs> box exactly, and I've certainly worn down of many many colors. As I mentioned in one of our podcasts, I love that you keep um, surprising me. That's the, I'll call that the so double. So the point is, the more colors you have at your disposal the more um, possibility of a masterpiece you can create, right? And it also goes into desire. So for instance, and I think it ties into, we've talked about this, how people are nuanced and complex, right? right? So don't try to fit people in an eight color box. And don't judge them for one of their colors. So there I'm going. Oh, sorry. So I may have been using four different crayons, gold, canary, Amber and copper. Okay, I'm not going to ask you what those are because I only know what gold is. Really? Okay, well, <laughs> they're, they're very similar and they're, they're hues of the same kind of uh, okay. field, but somebody else may only see yellow. My thoughts and actions are so obvious to me and might be incomprehensible to someone else who has only access to eight colors, right? So th- we understand this in the realm of colors, but now let's talk about judgments and actions. So through this understanding, some people are going to be incapable of seeing your coppers and ambers. And when you realize that, you stop expecting them to see it, right? So And you, not disappointed, but... And not disappointed because you understand that they're limited in their scope. And it's not to judge them, like you wouldn't judge somebody for being colorblind, right? It's just... No, a lot of great people are colorblind. Right, but in... Well, we're, we're using this as a metaphor. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when you really accept that on a fundamental level, this idea... 
that others will not see your actions as you do, then you can manage your expectations and your interactions with these people. I think one of the greatest misconceptions is that we think everybody else is fundamentally the same as us. And I remember when I got this lesson, I was shocked. It was like, as I really thought, like, I'm normal. Th that person's normal too. And then like decades later, I'm like, no, that person really is not normal. I would never do that. No judgment. But I, I went around for the first part of my life thinking that we are all pretty much exactly the same, using the same eight colors, right? And when I realized that that's not the case at all, it actually opened up this idea of, many things, right? Have empathy for other people. Don't assume everybody is like you, which is then gives you the ability to give them the benefit of the doubt. And also it's okay if people don't understand you or misunderstand you or even judge you. Don't change and only use eight colors to make them happy. That was a really oh, powerful nice idea. Part. Just from, from his quote nice. inspired me to see that. Because so it goes back to that idea that we perceive good and evil as a universal, right? What What is tragic and hilarious to me is going to be tragic and hilarious to you. Not necessarily the case, right? So if you just open like your friends, mind- I couldn't care less that tea spilled on your notes. I know. I'm over it now, by the way. I recovered pretty quickly. Um, I'm going to throw them away after. <laughs> so I'll, I'll share what, I'll share one more of my inspirations. Or you, did you- No, you share one more and then I'm going to share one more short one. Oh, really? Okay. I know. You, I know. We always go over time. We always try fine, to keep fine. These. Quiet me. <laughs> no, no, I have an idea. Quiet I'll my keep my notes. Voice. I'll, fine. I'll keep my notes. No, share you yours. I, no, I'm not going to do that. No, you share. I just spoke. Go ahead. Okay. So um, it's a relatively short one, but for me, it's a very powerful one. Again, one. If it's short, I might do another one. Yeah. <laughs> okay, one which I draw inspiration from very often. And um, there was a great Kabbalist who lived during the time of the Second World War, during the time of the Holocaust. And we've quoted him quite a few times. I, know you, yeah, I was yeah. going to quote him too, but then I didn't. I was like, there's not enough time. So I'm happy yes. you, that you are actually. And his, his name was Klonus Kalmish, uh, and he was from the town of Piasetsa. Kalmish or Kalman? Kalmish. He's named after uh, his grandfather was Klonus Kalman. But the uh, Kal 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 Kalmish is like a... It. Yeah, Kalmish is, a, is like a, a... He is so inspiring. Yes. Yes. And... In many levels, and I'm just going to talk about this one thing, which again, as I said, I both think about very often and 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 share very often. So one can imagine, or can only imagine, right? We've never been there, so but what what life was like living in the ghetto, living during uh, the Holocaust as people all around him were dying. There's one day uh, of the year that's called Simchatoa, which is a day of, of great joy and celebration where you dance around. And on the day of that evening. There was a bombing in the ghetto, and his daughter and son-in-law were killed. And everybody who was around assumed, of course, he's not coming down to celebrate with us. I mean, it's a few hours since he had to bury his family. And to everyone's surprise, as the holiday begins, he goes out and he starts dancing with everybody. And because, again, he, he was a man, obviously, of deep spiritual uh, connection, and he, of course felt the great grief and pain. At the other hand, he also felt inspired to show joy, not only for himself, I'm sure, but for the hundreds of people or even thousands of people who were watching him. And very often when people come to me with, you know, going through challenges, we all have challenges in our lives. And often because of those challenges, we allow ourselves to be down or sad or disappointment. And I can tell you for myself, often when challenges come into my life, I think, you know, if, if Clonus Kalmish can dance with joy after having to bury his family, 
I can certainly smile as I'm going through this challenge or that challenge. And, and in our lives, and certainly as I look back from the, from the people that I draw great inspiration from, one of the greatest sources of inspiration when you see somebody who goes through great challenges that we should, none of us should ever have to experience and still able to remain inspired and still able to feel joy and still able to give up to others in the midst of that pain. And for our listeners, and this, as I said, something that I think about very often and I do share very often, especially when people come to me, you know, I'm going through this challenge, this difficulty. If he can experience joy in the midst of such great grief, loss, and sadness. Each one of us, in whatever challenges probably we're going through, which don't even come close to that, can find a source of inspiration, a source of joy even through that. Right. Life is a series of choices, right? Right. Um, I, I'm going to give one, it's just really small. Sure, sure, go for it. It's actually a line that inspired me from um, the show Divorce. It's on HBO. Okay, I've never seen it. I haven't really either, but I was reading an article actually, <laughs> and there was this quote of this one line. And when I read it, this is what it awakened for me. So it's, I want to save my own life while I still care about it. And I thought that was such a powerful line because again, it goes back to desire, right? Most people, when we're in that space of wanting things, sometimes our desire gets misguided. And then at some point, if you actually never pursue the things that are important to you, you eventually don't care anymore. You're either exhausted or weary. You don't have the energy or the desire anymore to actually create the change, or you just don't think it's possible. The goal, and this is the Kabbalistic idea, is that it's to leave this world different than how you entered it. In a nutshell, that is the Kabbalistic view of life. It's about constant change and growth. And one can spend their entire lives doing what's natural and easy and thinking they've accomplished great things. But to accomplish the purpose for which you came to this world, we need to push against our comfort and to do it while we still care. That's beautiful. And it's interesting, as you, as you were saying that, this is actually a Seinfeld joke. <laughs> <laughs> I, um, I like, as I, I've shared, I think I mentioned this before, that I really like um, uh, comedy and, you know, and I, I love my two favorite things to as get. I know, last night as we were falling asleep. <laughs> That's true. Um, so Michael falls asleep by listening to things really loudly in his ears on his headset. I could never, right? But that puts you to sleep. And I usually watch like 20 minutes of something. So I have the TV on um, and uh, and I just feel the whole bed shaking and I hear giggling and he is laughing. Not giggling, laughing. The whole bed shaking. And so finally, I'm like, I put my show on pause. I'm like, why? He's like, you have to hear this. And it was funny. It was funny. It wasn't bed shaking funny. It was, it was, but... it was. And by the way, it's not the first time I've heard that that story. <laughs> Any, anyway, so back to what I was, so by the way, to any of our listeners, if you have any amazing jokes, you know, send to uh, Monica and Michael.com. I really enjoy them, but they have to be really good. Anyway, the point I said is that Jerry Seinfeld has this new book, Is This Anything, which I enjoyed reading. And in them, there's a joke that I've heard him say sometimes before. And that is about, you know, when you're, when you're a child, you know, you parents are always like, don't ruin your appetite. And he's like, why can I ruin the appetite? I realize you have, even if I ruin this one, I have one right behind it coming up and I can ruin that one. And there's another one coming up that. behind that. So that. go ahead and ruin your appetite. And the point is, that is not true when it comes to desire. In life, we have a certain amount of desire. And if we don't grab the desire and manifest it now, you don't know if you'll have it tomorrow. Exactly. And that's why I think that quote is so so beautiful and inspiring. And for every one of our listeners, hopefully, that, that idea that if you have a desire for something, again, not for a steak, great, go have the steak or don't have the steak, but for, for something important, 
don't allow that desire to die because you don't know if it will ever come back again. And we do not have a limitless reservoir of, of desires, Des- days or desires. Right. Um, so I have a letter from uh, okay, a great. listener. And- well, I think, okay, I guess we're not going to get to two questions, but, but next time. Um, okay, so I thought this was really nice. He wrote to us um, after our kindness episode and how he was inspired. So he said, one stressful morning, just a day or two after Rosh Hashanah, I was hurriedly walking to work late for a meeting. This is in New York City. I think that is an important piece of information. Coffee in hand and headphones blasting when I saw an older gentleman on the corner combing the ground on all fours looking for something. Again, New York City streets. Usually in these scenarios, I secretly pray somebody like this won't ask me for help. But just as I walked past the man, I remembered a personal story Monica shared at Rosh Hashanah in which she almost missed an opportunity to do kindness by a stranger. But upon recognizing she had an opportunity to share, Monica ran after the stranger to help. So instead of rushing past the man, I paused and decided to ask, what are you looking for? Panicked, the man frantically begged me not to make a move. He had lost one of his contact lenses while sneezing and was frightened I might step on it. As we spoke, his fear was evident. After all, he was a commuter about to start his workday with no backup pair of contacts or a local optometrist. By this point, I knew that this was my opportunity to share. So I dropped onto my hands and knees to scan the ground with him. As we discussed the trajectory of his sneeze and tried to assess the wind direction, another stranger decided to join us as well. At one point, the man even asked me to look in his eye to see if his contact had rolled back, but I found nothing. While we couldn't find the contact, it felt like, if nothing else, we were giving the man moral support and helping him not feel so alone in a very frustrating situation. Then, just as we were about to give up hope, the man's contact slid back into view. Apparently, it had been really far back in his eye. The man was overjoyed, and as I turned to walk away, he yelled to thank me. I dismissed it, and I said he had really done, I hadn't done anything to help him find it in the end. I mean, I didn't see the contact in his eye after all. He sweetly replied, of course you did, you gave me hope. I walked away in such a good mood, and one small interaction with the stranger had totally turned my morning around. What I love most about this story is how clear it is that it was ultimately an opportunity the creator was giving me to share. The man's contact was in his eye all along, and he would have found it without me regardless. But by making the man believe his contact was missing right as I had passed, I was given a choice to share my time and comfort with the stranger or rush past him. In the end, I got so much more from the man than he did from me. That's so beautiful. Such a nice story. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's really, really beautiful. And that's the point when we spoke about this in that episode that, you know, too often we share for an end goal, right? So in this case, you know, it's worthless sharing if I'm not going to actually help. No, when you decide that I'm going to do something for somebody else, that's it. It's done. You've revealed light. You revealed hope for them. Really, really and beautiful. You and you talk about days. I mean, he changed the day, also. right? That day was that unique opportunity for him and he took it and, and it turned everything around. Absolutely. And Absolutely. now it's inspired all of us. Yeah, right? really beautiful. So, Ask every one of our listeners if you have inspiring stories. If you have questions, please continue to send them into Monica and Michael at Kabbalah, K-A-B-B-A-L-A-H dot com. And we hope that you are inspired by this podcast. And we hope that you enjoyed listening to it as much as we enjoyed recording it. Thank you. Bye.